everyone, and welcome to the Future of Health with Providence. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, bringing you the latest in healthcare trends and news each week. Today, I'm joined by Nusha Safabash, Executive Director of Measurement and Analytics at the Institute for Human Caring. And we're talking about the power of data to transform and humanize healthcare. Remember, everyone, if you have questions for our expert, please share them with us on social media. We can be found on Facebook and on Twitter under Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram. Use the hashtag Future of Health and we'll be on the lookout for your questions. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Well, Nusha, let's get started with an easy one. Tell us a little bit about your role at the Institute for Human Caring. Sure. So I lead the measurement and analytics team for the Institute uh, for Human Caring. Um, Our team is responsible for developing the measurement portfolio um, um, for the transformation of um, care. And our focus is uh, looking at what matters most to our patients and how best we can provide the care that is aligned with what matters to the patient. Well, and and you already kind of mentioned the word transform, but I think what's so great about the Institute for Human Caring, and and we've had so many guests from from the Institute, from Dr. Bayak to Dr. Van Keef and and Dr. Matt, so many great people. But all of you mentioned that same word transform, which is really just about making sure that our our end-of-life care is a better experience than it typically has been. So you you kind of use the data in order to make that transformation. But tell me what what kind of data are you looking at? You said it's what matters to the patient. What what does matter to the patient? Um, so you know it, it varies. Um, you know the very first part of this is um, it's important for us to know at the time that uh, um, if if there is a time that the patient doesn't have the capacity to speak for themselves, uh, who would speak for them? And and so that is pretty much the advanced directive. And we have a we have a large initiative around the advanced directive. Um, so, you know, it's important for us to have um, the advanced directive in the charts, and that's for, for all of adults. You know, this is the this is the population of our patients, whether they visit a clinic, or they come to a hospital, um, or they have any any other type of services from Providence. We would like for everybody to have. Uh, their their advanced directive completed, and they have it, um, you know, saved in in their medical records for us. Um, so if at any time they're hospitalized and they cannot speak for themselves, we know who to go to, and we can we can uh, we can connect with the right person. Um, that said, there is a whole lot of work behind the scene to be able to measure if we have the advanced directive and if we have it in the right place. And so when the clinicians need to have access to that, right away they are able to actually get the right document. So that's one example of what we measure. And and what a great example too, because that is your chance as a patient to say what does matter to you, what is important to you and who you want to speak on your your behalf, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the data that you gather. And actually, gosh, there's so many things I wanna ask you, what kind of data you gather, I wanna ask you how you gather it, I wanna ask you what you do with it. Well, start start maybe I guess the easiest. What data are you are you gathering, and how are you gathering it? Um, so you know, it, it it varies depending on the different projects we work on. Um, as as I started, I'm gonna kind of connect back to the point that I meant I mentioned. Um, our our interest is to understand what matters most to our patients. So at different stages of life, 
um, this what matters most to the patient will change. And so for healthy adults, it's important to have advanced directive. For, for elderlies who may have a serious illness, um, you know, there is going to be a more conversation about their, their preferences, their priorities. If they were to be getting worse, uh, what are the trade-offs they're willing to have? What, what do they worry about? How they would like their families to be involved in the decision-making process? So all of those questions are important for us to have answer about. And there is a, there is a document and a conversation called Goals of Care Conversation that we have rolled out across the organization. And um, again, that is for patients who are chronic, who have serious illness. And um, it's, you know, it, it could start from the early um, stages of the disease uh, through the end of life. And those conversations need to happen frequently just to be sure we understand at each stage what the patient's thinking is, what are their values, priorities, and preferences, and what can we do as a, as a health organization to support that care for the patient. So, um, you know, the rollout of this initiative is, is, has been a, a, a very much a great effort by the entire team at the Institute for, for Human Caring. Uh, the piece that our team, the measurement and analytics team is supporting is to be sure that we measure the presence of the goals of care conversations. We want to be sure they're documented in the right place and therefore we can measure those. And then as we measure those, we want to also be able to see how those effective communication, how, how effective those communications are and also how they will impact the patient care. Um, so going back to what do we measure, so part of it is measuring whether we or not we have the goals of care in the, in the um, chart. Second part of it is how well did we do with asking the questions and documenting the information? And then the third part of it is how did that impact the patient satisfaction for those patients who did have goals of care conversations? Did anything change in the course of the care that we provided to them? For example, if a patient, you know, did specify preferences that would communicate ICU care is not the right care for the patient, did we, did we follow their wishes and did, were we able to provide other types of support to the patient when, you know, that was, that was solicited? By the patient. Oh. You've, you've said so many great things because I think it's, it's so important to talk about that lifespan too and how things change because what's important to us when we're young is probably substantially uh, length of life. When I get older, maybe it's quality of life. And, and even from a satisfaction level, if, if I'm, you know, if, sometimes it might just be about, am I comfortable, right? Not necessarily am I getting the best world-class care, but am I comfortable at the end? And so I love that you're kind of measuring it through the lifespan of that patient. That's beautiful. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that when we talk about healthcare, and I've had some great conversations with some of our other data teams and our executives, they always talk about kind of this, this uh, volume, right? We measure success by volume, but what you guys are doing is really measuring it by value. Can you talk to me a little bit about the quantitative versus qualitative of type of data? Sure. So I would say um, the, the, the value equation comes again with, with what matters most to the patient. You know, we are going to, you know, we, our goal is to provide patient-centered care. Um, what that means is, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we care for the patient. 
um, and the treatment plan is is aligned with their goals and priorities and preferences. Um, that said, um, there are, you know there are many aspects to the care in addition to the physical. There's the social, the emotional, the spiritual sides of the care that we need to all take into account. And um, as we think about the value equation, we want to be sure that we know how patients feel, how what are what what's most important to the patient, and how we provide the care. Um, and so the 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 it is, I would say, it is somewhat quantitative, but at the same time, at the same time, it's a qualitative uh, measure, meaning that um, it's important to understand what are the different domains that the that we need to be measuring or we need to be paying attention to. So again, goals of care conversation is a great example. We are we are not only looking at making sure that the goals of care doc is goals of care conversation is documented, but also what did we where what did we um, capture in this conversation? How did we address um, the understanding of the, the patient about their prognosis. Did we talk about their trade-offs? Did we talk about their worries and fears? Um, so it's, you know, there are components of care that we need to pay attention more now. Um, and that's what we go after by thinking about the value. Well, and, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about what people want and what satisfies the patient. I know that you guys also talk a lot about humanizing the experience. How does, how does the information that you're tracking help you guys do that? How does it help you humanize healthcare? Um, great question. So, so, so again, there are, you know, um, patient satisfaction is, is one way for us that we look at, um, we look at how satisfied our patients are. And, you know, the experience of the patient is important in the, in the sense of humanizing care. Um, the, we need, in their eyes, we need to be able to provide the care they are, they, they most need. Um, and so that's, that's a big component of what we do. And um, we, are, we also want to be sure that the patients are heard, they are listened to, um, they are, um, you know, the, the most compassionate care is provided to our patients and their needs are met. Um, that said, how we do that is we are trying to think about other ways of measuring that. One example I can share with you is we actually developed a, a patient, patient survey around whole person care with specific questions that actually focuses on how well we are able to care for the patients besides the physical treatment plan. And um, soon we are hoping that that would be integrated to our Prescani survey, that is the patient survey for the entire system. You you just mentioned in, in your last about, you know, we want to make sure that the needs are met. One of the things I've been hearing some of the other people at the Institute talking about is these unmet needs right? Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. What does that mean? And, and how are you guys trying to solve for that? So our journey of um, unmet need has just begun. I think there is a lot for us to explore and um, do a de deep dive analysis. Um, we have um, one of the questions that we received from, uh, from the organization was, um, you know, we have 
a lot of hospitalized patients that are seriously ill, and we do have access to palliative care. And we also know that we want to be able to increase access to palliative care. So how do we know how much is enough? Like how well do we, you know, meet the need of our patients in terms of all of those who need palliative care service? Um, so we worked as a team again, um, spent a lot of time brainstorming on what is the best way to measure the unmet need for palliative care access in our hospitals. So that's why I say the journey just began because we just we just tackled one piece of this. It's a it's a you know it's a large initiative, but we're looking at the hospitals' uh, access to palliative care. We um, we defined a population of patients who are severely ill and for sure they can benefit from the, from the conversation um, around the goals of care and the preferences and their priorities, as well as they may have symptoms that need to be managed and they can benefit from palliative care. So with that, we have defined the population who need palliative care and today they have not had a service of palliative care there may be many reasons for that, but that is the population now we are focusing on and we call it inpatient palliative care unmet need, meaning that we need to be able to, at least we need to be able to um, attend to these patients and how do we strategize to provide care to those patients supporting the palliative care service line. You know, as you're talking about kind of these data platforms and these metrics and, and how you're pulling it in, I realized that I don't think I actually asked you, what's your background? How did you get into this side of healthcare? Wow. So uh, actually, you know, uh, my background um, is engineering. Okay. Um, uh, and and um, I, I, um, I got my master's in industrial and systems engineering from Georgia Tech. And, you know, during my study, um, during my undergrad and uh, graduate time at Georgia Tech, you know, as we were doing a lot of problem solving in the academic fashion, um, it always fascinated me, the human factors involved in system design and how you optimize systems when humans are involved. So that kind of uh, triggered more interest for me to go after um, industries that are focused on providing service and they work with humans. And later on in my graduate program, I had a couple courses that were more geared towards healthcare. And I started to be so fascinated about, you know, how healthcare works. And that was, that was where, um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, made my mind that at some point in my career, I need to be working in healthcare and I have so much passion for this. Awesome. Georgia Tech, that's buzz, right? Isn't that the mascot? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are, um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk more about the power of data as we transform and humanize healthcare. We will be right back. I know water that's thicker than blood, that's deeper than love with my friends. People coming, some people going, some people ride to the end. When I am blind, in my mind, I swear they be my rescue, my lifeline. I don't know what I'd do if I, if I'd survive, my brothers and my sisters in my life. Yeah, I know some people, they would die for me. We run together, they're my fate. 
Future of Health. I'm your host, Mary Yanoff, and I'm here with Nusha Safabash, and we are talking about transforming healthcare through data. So before we took a break, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, how we're humanizing healthcare, how we're really trying to get into kind of this, um, what, what is it you call it? You call it the um, the goals of care. And I think you've mentioned that a few times. And I, I'd love for the listeners to know what is what are goals of care? What does that actually consist of when you are having that conversation with the patient? Because I imagine that that impacts a lot of the, the reporting that you're pulling through. So I will share with you my um, my version of what's goals of care. You know, I think our clinicians would, would be much better positioned to talk about the clinical view of what's goals of care. But if I want to summarize it, I would say... Um, for patients who are who are um, in early stages of diagnosis of uh, of a serious illness, um, as an example, cancer, um, you know, heart failure, um, dementia, um, there are many things in their mind that is um, that is that that they need to um, think through. They need to prioritize. Um, there are discernment processes that they need to go through about their not only about their health, but also about their lifestyle. There, there are things that they need to figure out. And often um, these conversations are important for the patient to have with their clinicians and with their family members to better understand what are their options and how they can respond 
what, what are, how their values and priorities match with what are their options. Um, there are, you know, studies also show that um, there are many times that patients have conflicting preferences about their treatment plan. Um, they want to be as comfortable as possible, but they want to also live as long as possible. And so, you know, that, that is, if we ask our clinicians, they, they, they have a hard time to say those are, those are aligned um, values or goals that we want to have for care. Um, that said, the goals of care conversation is intended to, to, have a, um, to have a deep conversation around what are the priorities and preferences of the patient in that where they are with their stage of disease, uh, what's possible and what's not possible. And based on that, um, see how we can support the patient. You know, what are the information the patient is giving us around their preferences, about what worries them most, um, what fears them most, um, you know, what trade-off they're willing to accept, um, and then how well we can support them in this process. Um, one thing that I really like Dr. Bayek always says is it's about patient well-being. You know, the, there, there is always the physical well-being, but there is also the emotional, the spiritual well-being. And all of these need to be taken into consideration. Um, and so this conversation helps us to have a better understanding of who that the patient is, what matters most to that patient, and what can we do to support them. That's beautiful. I like I like that you're looking at the individual patient as as a whole person, not just a patient, and not just what you think is best for them or what you think they want. I think that's beautiful. Um, I know um, Dr. Matt talked a little bit about kind of this this suite. I, I want to call it, I guess, of uh, a reporting suite that you guys have put together, which is really about uh, how how you're establishing these quality improvement standards and and what you're doing with them. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so. We started about um, almost, I want to say, five and a half years ago, um, measuring um, the the all the all the components of care that relates to whole person care, and um, and so we we wanted to have a one stop shop where our our um, um, our clinicians, our our core leaders, um, our um, senior leadership are. Uh, is able to go there and pretty much monitor where we are with all these metrics. So um, we have started by um, capturing data and visualizing the information um, with um, in a regular basis um, with um, information around um, advanced care planning, um, then goals of care conversation, and um, other other metrics that again they're around whole person care. How I would say we structure this uh, this suite is we're looking at process measures, meaning that whether we did whether we have the processes are advanced directive, the goals of care conversations, the you know for patients who are very ill, it's the post. So we want to be sure that we are we are um, our care is aligned with the whole person care initiatives or the interventions that support understanding the goals of the patient. And then how do we measure the impact? It's also important for us. So if we were able to 
provide goals of care. I mean, I'm sorry, if you were able to document the goals of care conversation and have a thorough conversation with the patient around their preferences and priorities, do we see a difference in the way the outcome of that care is for the patient versus the one that had a similar situation, but they never had a conversation about that? We call that outcome analysis. And so our, our goal is with this um, whole person care reporting suite to not only focus on process measures, which is pretty much compliance rate with how well we are, we are doing the interventions, but also in, you know, identify and quantify the impact of how, how these type of care would, would provide a better outcome uh, for the patient. At, you know, f- that's the first goal and also for the organization. Well, it sounds, Nisha, like that's a, a pretty big undertaking. I can't imagine that it's easy to implement something of, of this magnitude. Talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges you see when you when you do try to implement these programs. Um, so I will say it's very rewarding to work in this area. I, I truly enjoy every moment of problem solving in this area. Um, at the same time, um, it is challenging. And if I want to categorize two, two big areas of challenge, um, I would say one is, um, you know, this is not, this, this type of measurement is not as straightforward as when we are talking about hospital acquired infection or um, falls, you know, it's, those are more, you know, we, we have been measuring those so long that we all have a very good sense of how we how we frame the problem and how we solve that problem. Um, when we talk about whole person care interventions and the measurement, um, it it is sometimes we actually don't have benchmarks. Sometimes we don't, you know, we define a measure and we we go through exploration phase and then we are like, okay, you know, we have to tweak this for like this five reasons. This way of measuring it is not going to work for us. So. I would say it requires a lot of exploration, um, and we are we know from the beginning of this journey that um, you know things may change and refinements is required um, because you know there there is there are a lot of studies out there that we rely on and we are very grateful for, but all of them are in the last I want to say twenty years, and it's important for us to be able to recognize that we are still um, on a journey. That, um, that would benefit us to explore and refine. Um, and then the second challenge, I think, is, and I'm sure this is not new, you probably have heard from many of our, um, you know, a- analytical senior leadership, it's, you know, the number of data sources we have to manage and we have to work with. And data definitions are different and how data elements are, are being captured are different. Um, some sometimes very simple definitions, we, we, we find ourselves challenged by the fact that, that in this uh, data source doesn't align with another data source. And then how do we manipulate and how we, do we curate data to a point that we can, we can show one metric across this large health, or health system? So I guess that's summary of the challenges. <laughs> well, it's funny you were talking about the the you know kind of this copious amount of data and all these different various sources and how data can mean different things to different people. It, it, 
as you were talking, I was thinking how I personally, like I get it, I, I like geek out on data, right? And I go down a rabbit hole and I find myself two and a half hours later digging into something that's probably not even that relevant. So how do you, how do you stay focused on the areas that you need to be paying the most attention to? And, and do those shift over time? Like, do you find the data that you're looking at uh, today is very different than the data you were looking at six months ago? And I, I can imagine that it must be, but talk to me about that. So that's very interesting you bring that up. You know, the, the, the nature of this work requires a lot of exploration. And I, I sometimes call it out of scope. And it, this is kind of an internal joke with my team because, you know, every, you know, everybody says, oh, Nusha, are you going to tell us it's out of scope now? Because, you know, <laughs> you know it's, 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 it's like, I don't think there is a right answer. Like we have to do a lot of exploration and there are going to be times that we're going to go to an area that we never thought we want to go after that. But, but it will, you know, it's, again, it's about what matters most to our patients. And if there are areas that we haven't discovered in the past, now we, it's our time to really look into it. Um, and, you know, um, there are times actually we, we, we come up with a path and then we notice that the data, the, the data available to us is not supporting that, you know, and that is another way of for us to kind of retrack and decide, okay, you know, we have to think about another proxy measure for this and how do we go after that? But, but I, you know, I think part of the joy that comes to me and also our team of measurement analytics is that exploration. And is that the fact that we actually get sidetracked and then we come back and, that sidetrack actually is very beneficial and meaningful for the work that we need to do. Nusha, I have um, I have a Nusha on my team. Her name is Denise, and she does that to me. I'll say, oh, I have this great idea, and she'll say the data doesn't show that that's going to work. And I'll say, well, I don't want to know that because it's such a great idea. <laughs> or I'll ask her for something, and she'll say that's not in the One of the things that I hear a lot of executives say, and actually it's interesting, I was, on, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I heard a healthcare executive, he actually used the words, if we can't count it, it doesn't count. Um, and I feel like that's something I want to talk to you about, because how do we use data that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily look at or things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily want to count, but we know it's the right thing to do? How do you, how do you kind of bridge that, that, that puzzle, I guess? Um, so I think, you know, again, counting is definitely important. And I, I, I am going to go back to the fact that um, one challenge in our area is exactly what you said. If it doesn't count, um, it, does, it seems it doesn't matter, you know. And so um, the reason we are putting so much attention and energy around advanced directive, goals of care conversations um, for those who are very ill, polls, um, is because, um, you know, we have to be able to, to document those and we, then we have to be able to uh, measure those. And, and I want to say system optimization is also very important. So, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with our clinicians who tell me, and I totally agree with them, they tell me that they, are, they have been doing goals of care conversation for many, many, many years, this is not something new for them. This is a practice that they have grown with. And they, you know, for the past 30 years of their practice, they have been doing goals of care conversations. And it's important to know that, that that's been done. And we recognize that. We appreciate that. Now, the challenge is, if it's not documented where we can count that, um, probably it's not easy for other clinicians, the fellow 
clinicians who want to also reach, be able to look at that document when they need to. And so they're not able to look, to find it. So the counting matters, not only for the matter of measurement, but also being able to centralize documentation and being able to find documentation when it's important for the practice of care for our patients. Mm, good, good insights. Um, well, oh gosh, we already have to take another quick break. Um, <laughs> when we come back, we'll continue this conversation and actually we will take some questions from social media for you. So if you all will give us just a quick moment, we will be right back.
Well, we are back with Future of Health, and our guest, Nusha, is talking to us about the power of data as it relates to healthcare. So, Nusha, we decided that we would take some questions from social media, and you just never know what you're going to get, so bear with us on this one. <laughs> but the first question we have is from Maria on Twitter, and she says, data can be confusing and can be interpreted in so many different ways. Where do you get your data from, and how do you make sure the interpretation is accurate? Wow, that's like a whole nother show, but let's, let's, let's give it a whirl. What you got, Nusha? Yes, you're right, Mary. It, 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 this is this is a this is a you know, great question. At the same time, um, will require um, a, a great conversation to be able to, <laughs> to do justice in answering that question. Um, I would say, we where do we get our data? There are many, many, many sources of data that we we go after. Um, one major one, um, if I want to summarize, is um, our electronic medical record or our, our electronic health record which, um, you know, um, again, at the moment in our large health system, we actually um, have a number of them. Um, one primary one is EPIC. So we, we, you know, we pretty much rely on electronic health record to get a major portion of our data. And, um, you know, there are backend data warehouses that will record all the information that is being captured by the clinicians and the caregivers and the, in the hospitals and the clinics wherever the patient had a visit with Providence Health, uh, Providence uh, Healthcare System. And uh, when we record, when, when we get, when we access that information uh, from the data warehouse, um, there is a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of um, data, starting from the data ingestion um, to data migration, and also at the end, the data curation meaning that we want to be sure that we have the right data set um, and we have the right definitions. They're aligned. If you're, if you're approaching two different uh, electronic health records with different data definitions, uh, we want to be sure that we at first um, manipulate data in a way that we get the same definitions and we have, we are, you know, comparing Apple to Apple, as we say. And then based on that, we, we start to develop the metrics. Now the interpretation interpretation part is another part of it. So we actually have to be sure that what what we measure is meaningful, and we spend a lot of time work with our clinicians and people in the operation, our clinicians and core leaders in the operation to help us um, make sure that the the you know what we get is meaningful and applicable as in their settings. I love the apples to apples, by the way. I say it all the time. Um, well, David on Twitter said, uh, do you count patient satisfaction data from the patient's family? My dad's in a healthcare system, and he says not yours. Um, and he always says he's fine and happy because he doesn't want to be a burden on the staff. But I think the docs and nursing staff should know it's not as great as he says it is. That's a great question. Do we do we take into consideration patient feedback uh, when when it's the patient's family? I mean, especially when maybe the patient isn't able to speak for themselves. Um. So yes, you know the patient. Okay. So so I think again, this is this is a this is a um, multi-dimensional question. I would say um, there. You know, we have patient satisfaction um, survey that. Um, Patient and family members can can provide feedback, and you know why I'm not part of uh, the you know the specific facilities patient satisfaction uh, departments. 
um, I I understand that every every hospitals every clinic they have they have their own designated um, team to that will review the patient satisfaction surveys and you know if there are comments and concerns specifically they have their own protocol of how they would address the the, the concerns with the patient. Um, also, um, you know the other part of this is when the, the patients are seriously ill and again we provide goals of care conversations. One reason of that is to make sure we listen to the patient, their family members. And if the patient wishes are that their family members should be part of that conversation, they're gonna be they're gonna be part of that conversation. And we want to be able to listen to them and document um, information that we receive, not only from the patient but also from the family members. You know, you've you've talked a little bit uh, about Epic, um, and so that makes me wonder. I'm going to jump in here and ask my own question: Is there a lag time between the time that you're gathering the data and you're actually accessing it, or is it fairly real time these days? Very good question. Um, depends where we we harvest the data from, so to say. Um, you know, we can we can actually um, grab the data as as early as twenty four to forty eight hours after the encounter. I mean, there are systems that pretty much is real time. Um, but you know, for our measurement suites, we we have not encountered a need to be able to, you know, go after the data for every hour. In in you know in the current state. Um, because of uh, the challenges we have with COVID, we do. Uh, there are other other uh, you know measurement suite reportings that they they have a need for hourly updates, and they are able to capture that. Talk to me a little bit about how COVID has impacted the work that you're doing. I, I think we all understand how it impacts the way we provide healthcare or the way we access healthcare, but how does it impact the data side of it? Um, so I would say um, it. You know, I'm not sure if it, it directly impacts the data side of it, but but for example, you know, many of the encounters now are telemedicine or telehealth encounters, and um, you know, we you know we want to be sure we are able to actually capture the documentations that are done in telehealth settings. So again, you know, it's it's a format um, in in Epic that. We look to our uh, informatics uh, experts to help us with defining how we actually able to capture the data elements that um, connect with the um, telehealth visits. Um, I think one other, maybe not wasn't part of your question, Mary, but um, one other piece around COVID that I think it's important for us to recognize is that um, you know there is there is less of an in-person contact, but that makes it even more important. Uh, for us to be able to understand what matters most to the patient and how best we can provide whole person care. And so that's that that I see where the role of the measurement team at the Institute for Human Caring is, is to define measurements such a way that we can actually um, better solicit uh, for patient information and being able to capture what matters most to them. It's interesting. I can imagine that patient satisfaction must be a challenge right now because, you know, it's it's hard to get things scheduled. It's hard to know where to go. It's, you know, you can only have one family member in with you in some places you can't even have a family visiting. So I imagine the data might be tanking a little bit more negative these days, courtesy of COVID, but we'll, we'll do the best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we do have a question from Betty via Facebook, and she said, my husband recently spent a week in Providence Hospital in Oregon, and at the end of his time there, he was given a survey about his experience. I'm a researcher by profession, so I'm curious, what happens to the data? Does it go into a large database, or does it stay local, and who addresses the patient concern? That's a good so, question. Very good question, and somewhat related to an earlier question um, that we, we were just talking about it. So, um, it, yes, we do have patient satisfaction surveys, and they actually are being reviewed across the board. They're, they're, they're being reviewed by the local patient satisfaction coordinators or teams that um, pretty much uh, look at, um, uh, evaluate the patient satisfaction scores and also review all the comments that they receive from patients and family members. And also, um, it will it it, uh, it it they it gets reconciled or compiled, I should say, um, at the at the system level, and they're being monitored. Um, and again, the the comments are are being reviewed. And if there are questions that need to be, um, and, you know, that need to be addressed or followed up with the patients or family members, um, you know, there is a process and protocol that they follow. I'm going to ask you this question um, that came in. Um, I think you've kind of already touched on it, but I'm going to ask it because they, they submitted it, which is, uh, John says, I've noticed lately that my doctors, all of my doctors have been asking me about completing an advanced directive. Why exactly is Providence looking for this information? Sure. So so the information is, again, as we, as we discussed early on, is um, it's important for us um, as a healthcare system to have information about who the patient um, trusts as a decision maker for them in the case that they cannot speak for themselves. Um, and so that's a, that's a designation that the patient has to do for themselves. And the documentation of that is, is very important for us. Um, you know, we hear a lot of times from patients, oh, I did my advanced directive two years ago and it's in my safe box. You know, it's great that they went through the process of thinking through that. And it's, you know, having that information um, and they talk to the, you know, to, to their healthcare agent, that's all great. At the same time, if, um, if that, you know, there is a time they are hospitalized and that information is needed for us, we need to have it, you know, very much handy and it should be in our medical records um, in our, in their chart. And so we ask all of our patients, adult patients to, to, if they haven't completed advanced directive, to be thinking about completing one and um, you know, identifying who would be their healthcare agent. And then if they have completed one, we, uh, we wanna be sure that we have a copy of that. And um, our measurement team is looking at presence or absence of an advanced directive in every patient chart for all adults. That's great information. I, I love I love the fact that you know an advanced directive is helpful for the patient. It's helpful for the family, but it's also helpful for the healthcare system. So it's really kind of a triple win if you think about it. Mm -hmm. um, well, I want to go back kind of more to the data. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the dashboards and measurement tools that you guys are providing. Um, you talked kind of kind of this reporting suite, but how how are your clinicians and your executives accessing this data, and, and what are they really doing with it? Great question. So I would say, um, you know, that it's it's very much readily available, but like everything else, you know, there is a lot of resources we all have, you know, we all have access to. On a daily basis, we are not able to 
you know, go to every every resource that is available to us and be able to process how we can use it. I mean, you know, it's a lot of information overload, I want to say. So we have to be able to not only um, pre- provide the reporting, um, you know, um, suite, but also help our clinicians and leaders and uh, operational teams to understand how to make meaning out of this data or those dashboards and how it's applicable to them in their facility, in their team, um, wherever they, they choose to use this information. So what we do is as we roll out or as we publish new dashboards, we actually, um, with the help of all of our team members at the Institute for Human Caring, we facilitate conversations and education around the dashboards and reporting. Um, and and we, we sit down pretty much with um, individual teams, go over the, the metrics, go over how we, how we define the measure, where do we get our data, how, did, how does that connect with um, the way they are charting in the electronic medical record? And then based on, you know, the information that, uh, that uh, you know, we have provided to them, we also solicit feedback from them. Does this, you know, th- does this make sense to you? Can you apply it, you know, if you're, if you see unmet need for palliative care last month show as you had, you know, 40 patients admitted to your hospital that could have benefited from palliative care, but you didn't, you didn't see those patients. Um, does that ring a bell for you? Does, you know, how do you connect the dots here? Do you think if you were, if you were part of the rounding in the ICU, uh, daily rounding in the ICU, could have that helped identify those patients early on and work with the, uh, with the rest of the clinicians to provide palliative care. Um, so there are many examples of that that I can share with you, and I'm sure it's you know we are going to run out of time. But pretty much we 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 try best to connect with our clinicians and make sure that it's meaningful to them. And um, if they need assistance on how to interpret the data, we provide that. And also, you know, there sometimes it makes a few. It may it may take a few months uh, of working very closely with our clinicians and our operational leaders um, to be able to um, integrate the, the the data and the information that is provided from the data into their um, you know daily operation. This is fascinating for me. I feel like I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> Well, uh, we do have to take another quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue the conversation.
Well, we're back on Future of Health, and we're talking with Nusha today about data and healthcare. And Nusha, right before the break, you were talking about kind of how you work with clinicians to to use the data to help them kind of in their their day to day. I think it's really interesting. I, I'm always so impressed by by the work that Dr. Bayak and his team do, and I think it's interesting that they have you know a position like a chief technology officer and a data officer. Do you find that you you kind of have this almost little nugget of, of fun that you get to do within your institute that maybe isn't present in other programs of this nature across the country? Um, I think that's the case, Mary. I, I you know, I, 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 I guess I want to say there are, there are um, maybe similar activities across the nation around, uh, you know, um, transformation of care and, and, um, and you know, moving from uh, volume to value, um, and in you know, there, there a lot of initiatives are being done across the nation. Um, I I also want to say the way um, we have uh, you know, Dr. Bayek has established the Institute for Human Caring um, at Providence. It's it's a unique um, opportunity, um, and it's it, you know, it, there there are many initiatives that we work on that we hear from um, outside organization about they want to they want to work with us and they want to they want to learn from us so it's clear that in this in this path forward we are um, we we are going ahead in terms of being able to implement roll out the the interventions that support um, whole person care well Nusha I've asked you a ton of questions today, but I think what I, I want to finish with is just, is there anything you would want people to know about the work that you guys are doing and how it impacts either their care or the care of their loved ones that, that you would want them to take away from this conversation? Um, I think we covered a lot um, while we were talking earlier today, Mary. I would say, you know, our goal is to be able to provide care in a way that it's aligned with the preferences and values of our patients. And our, you know, our mission and measurement team is to be able to get there. It's going to be a, a, you know, a bumpy road, um, but but we we trust um, the the resources that we have in the uh, uh, in our large healthcare system, and we are going to be able to to get there. It's um, we have a lot of um, um, you know very very talented um, team um, across this organization. Um, great resources in terms of our systems um, and many other resources um, that they all, you know, come together and we are going to be able to um, come to a point that we can provide care that is aligned with values, priorities, and preferences of our patients. Great stuff. Great stuff. We're out of time. Um, so thank you, Nusha, for joining us today and everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Facebook and on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram. For the latest about coronavirus, please visit coronavirus.providence.org. And to learn more about our mission programs and services, visit future.pshjhealth.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>